This is the latest edition of the FoxSportsFlorida.com Miami Heat podcast. I'm your host, Siri Fernandez, and with me is longtime Sun Sentinel reporter Ira Winderman, back for another edition of uh, talking about really what's what's the latest going on with the Miami Heat. How's it going, Ira? I am doing good. Uh, on the road with the Heat and uh, hoping it might get better and not get any worse after what happened in Denver. Right, and, and um, speaking of that, you're on the road. How how important is that 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 flight from from Phoenix to Denver? How, how important is that towards the game? Because the Heat they they had a pretty decent first half, then they kind of fell flat. Can can we really point that uh, to that, or is it just a uh, you know a microcosm of what's going on with the Heat lately? No, it, I mean honestly, that's one of the shorter flights they take all season. So it has nothing to do with that. I think it has the fact to do of going from Phoenix to the altitude of Denver. I mean, you could really sense the difference. You know, maybe it's psychological. What's interesting is when you play in Denver, before the game starts, when the players are warming up, they run this video that says, warning, you are now a mile high. You may have trouble breathing. If you have oxygen depletion, please see an emergency official right away. It's almost like they're playing on the visiting team. And the reality is this. The Heat were playing on the second night of a back-to-back. The Nuggets had the night off. What you saw in Denver was as much a product of the NBA schedule as it was anything schematically or maybe even talent-wise. Right, but but the Heat have lost, uh, I think it's five of the last six games, if I'm not correct. Uh, well, actually, the, the, the stat is, um, of the times that the Heat have played Denver on the second night of a back-to-back in Denver, they now have not only lost five of those six games, but they've lost them in blowout fashion by an average of 15 points. So it's a tough spot for the Heat. It's like Dwayne Wade said after, I, I, you know, it's not that they went and resigned to the bad outcome, but the reality is it is one of the toughest stops and spots on the NBA schedule. Right, right. And also, uh, they were missing Josh McRoberts, and I think that he's been playing pretty well these last few games, getting establishing that kind of rhythm with the other starters. and the, Obviously, team chemistry is important, but I think almost he's – He's almost too good of a passer. He has too much court vision, if, if that's such a thing, because sometimes the players really haven't been able to to, to get adjusted to these these unique angles that he finds. Um, but they, they did lost a lot with, with, with Josh McRoberts out. Um, what, do you, what do you think his influence has been, uh, especially since now that he's a starter? Well, teammates love playing with him. Because there's, I mean, there are very few pass-first players in the NBA, especially among power players. So... When you can get someone like that who's willing to move the ball, there's not a player who doesn't want to be on the court with him. But you are so right. He is such a unique type of player. His passing angle, the big man who operates off the elbow, foul line extended, so you have to get used to it. It worked well. He played very well in the game in Memphis. He played very, very well early on, especially in the game in Phoenix. And then he's out again. I mean, we're talking about a guy who missed time with the toe surgery in the offseason, then the painful blister, then he had the illness. Now he has a bruised knee. It's always something. I mean, even he's joking about it, how snake bit he is. He said it's almost like he expects to be out with chap lips next because so much has gone wrong. He's maintained a good spirit, but don't kid yourself. He very much wants to prove his worth for the contract that he gave him in the offseason as a free agent. Right, right. And and McRoberts is one thing, too, but I think Birdman uh, as well. He's been uh, in and out of the lineup this whole season the, the Heat lose so much when he's not playing, and he he's never been able to play in Denver since he um, since he left the Nuggets. Uh, that also ha- I imagine had some sort of big impact on the game. And then you see uh, somebody like Hassan Whiteside 
kind of intriguing. I think he got like six points. Yeah, it was garbage time. But he showed, you know, some some decent moves around the basket. He had some decent hands as well. Grabbed a couple of rebounds. Is this somebody that they're going to be bringing on uh, for more important minutes than just garbage time? Well, you know, a couple of points here. First of all, to your point about Birdman being out, let's face it, the Heat have really struggled defending off the dribble. It's when you have that second line of defense that it picks it up, and that's what Birdman in his best times with the Heat had been during the championship season, tailed off a little last season. They have no deterrent at the rim. You know, then you get into Whiteside. You're right. He was brought in to be just that. Came on 3 of 3, played the final 555 in the game in Denver, looked good. Here's an interesting point. We're talking about the Heat youth movement. At the beginning of the season, we were talking about the youth movement in terms of Shabazz Napier and James Innes. After the game in Denver, Eric Spolster talks about the youth movement in terms of Justin Hamilton, who got the start, and like you mentioned, Hassan Whiteside, who played so well, even in garbage time at the end of that game. That's the thing with youth. It's youth that goes back and forth. They're good some nights, they're not as good some other nights, and that's what Eric Spolster tried to balance. Which young player should he mix into his mix, but also which player should he not simply give playing time just because they're supposed to be the prospects of the future. Right, and and that's something that he fans, unfortunately, well, fortunately, I suppose, uh, they're not used to, to seeing so much losing. Uh, is it really that important at this point of the season, the wins and losses? I mean, the Heat are in the East. Most likely, they're going to make the playoffs. Uh, is it better to, to develop those kind of players now for the future and even for the short-term future for, for the playoffs? I mean, these these are the kind of guys that, that, that the Heat are going to have to play. James Ennis is going to have to step up. Uh, we've seen Shabazz Napier really struggle these last few games. Uh, we really haven't seen him uh, very aggressive with his own shot selection. But uh, do, do you think that it, along those lines, is it really that important for the Heat to, to try to win every single game possible and play their veterans uh, the most minutes? I guess that comes down to what you and Heat fans are looking for. If you're just looking just to get into the playoff, then you're right. Breaking the young players, take the long view, probably will be one and done. If you're looking to win a playoff series and advance beyond the first round, then your goal has to be to avoid Cleveland in the first round, to avoid Chicago in the first round, maybe also to try to get one of the top four seeds and get home court against a Washington or a Toronto. So it comes down to what the goal is. You know, the Heat always talk about championship vision. The Heat always talk about they're not there just to make the playoffs. This is the case in point right now. What is the ultimate goal? I know when the season started, the goal was to get home court in the first round. Then Toronto came out, and even with DeRozan being out, are really contending. Washington looks like they have a very good chance to win the Southeast Division. We all know Cleveland would make the move they're making right now. And you know with Tom Thibodeau, he's going to have the Bulls playing hard in the regular season no matter what. So... The question is, if the Heat want to get a five or six seed and have a puncher chance in the first round, they have to play to win. If the Heat are looking to the future and just make the playoffs, then you're right. Then you can go with Ennis, you can go with Napier, you can go with the young centers a little more. It comes down to what are your ultimate goals. Right, right. And what have you seen as far as progression with these young players? Uh, I, I said Napier has been struggling a little bit. Ennis as well, you know, he's he's, he's learning to adjust to playing off the ball. Uh, he used to have the ball so much in his hands in Australia. Uh, it's It's been, you know, more than a month now. Do you see any clear progression with, with these young fellas? 
No, honestly, I see a bit of regression. And I think you know, right. we always talk about the rookie wall. College players playing in that 30-game range were approaching that at the quarter pole, moving to a third of the season when they'll hit that 30-game mark. You're seeing that the NBA schedule is nothing like Napier had last year at UConn. Right. The NBA schedule is nothing like Ennis had last year with the Perth Wildcats in Australia of the National Basketball League. So I think right now, more than the competition, more than the requirements, what those guys are dealing with is NBA life, is the back-to-back, is this five-game road trip. Is going from warm to cold, back to warm, back out to Brooklyn next week. I think the NBA life is something you have to learn as much as the NBA game. I think that's where Napier is right now. I think that's where Ennis is right now. And guys like Hamilton and Whiteside, because they've previously been in the league, at least they've gotten that part of the challenge out of the way. Right, right. And the Heat, they were they were up and down while Wade was out for that extended stretch. I think it was a couple of weeks. But right. it's the the play has kind of still continued to be up and down, even with Wade back on the roster, um, on, on the active lineup. Uh, what, what do the Heat really need to do to get back on track? I think Phoenix was maybe the first time the Heat have actually started the, the projected starting five um, for the first time ever this season. Uh, what do they really need to do to get Wade, or Wade, what does Wade have to do to get you know, well, more results? I, I, I think you almost answered your own question, and while we discussed before about McRoberts, continuity, continuity, continuity. Yeah. The teams that play together are the teams that develop the continuity then. A team like the Spurs can go without a Ginobili, a Parker, or a Duncan, and there's enough chemistry with the rest of the players. What this team needs is a good two-week run of their projected lineup. It's going to be Cole, then with Wade, and with Roberts, and with Dang, and with Bosch. And they need to go two straight weeks with that and say, hey, either this group works, this group needs a little more. They have to make a decision on maybe a trade or a personnel move. But it can't just be the four games Josh McRoberts starts, and then boom, he's out of the starting lineup. It can't be Norris Cole having a cold play that he comes back in still with a dislocated middle finger. They need the continuity. Honestly, we're at the quarter pole of the schedule. I don't even think the Heat know who they are. Right. <laughs> I, what would what would you do? Would you uh, pursue some sort of trade to kind of shake things up, or would you give this roster some time to, to really gel? You know, I, I would give them time. I mean, when you look back, and it's fascinating, the Miami Heat had never made a trade in November ever in their 27 seasons. The last couple of seasons, almost no moves. Two years ago, they're only trading unloading Dexter Pippen's contract. Last year, they're only in-season trades, trading Joel Anthony's contract, trading Roger Mason's contract. So there has been a patience. The February 19th trading deadline, you've got to know by then who you are. The March 1st buyout deadline, you've got to know by then what player would fit. It's still early enough for a new team. I don't think you make a rush judgment. I don't think you give up on Luel Dang. I don't think you give up on some of the other players on this roster. I think you've got to find out who you are. Honestly, another name we haven't even discussed, you've got to find out, can Danny Granger be the sixth man you envision, or is the reality that he simply cannot stay healthy enough? Yeah, that's that's a tough question, and, and we would we would uh, we could expand that to the whole team. Really, I think I think Chris Bosh is really the only player that has has really been healthy. And yeah, you know, maybe it's an excuse, but uh, like we were saying, I mean, when will the Heat finally stay healthy? Not just stay healthy for one game, but for an actual stretch of games. Do you see uh, any part of the schedule where uh, you know they can kind of settle into a groove? Because it's been it's been kind of brutal Absolutely. with these on, on and off games. Yeah, yeah. and I'll, t- I'll tell you what it is. It's after they come back from this trip, they have a home game against Chicago, really tough spot. Then they go out to Brooklyn. 
going right back on the road, tough spot, and then there were two straight weeks at home. I think that is the Miami Heat's discovery period. They can practice. They don't have to get on a plane at all until New Year's Eve when they go up to Indianapolis for that game. They get two full weeks at home. I think that's when you see who you are, you decide what you have. I think the schedule maker, for as tough as it's been early on, I think they gave them a bit of a gift with at least giving them that, that they could know going into those two weeks, okay, this is our, you know what I call it, their retraining camp. I think you can look at it that <laughs> right. way. Right, and the hope is that they are actually healthy. They can actually, you know, incorporate Josh McRoberts fully into that starting lineup and, and get that chemistry going. Uh, another thing I wanted to touch on, the, the defense. What is, what is really going on with this? Because it's it's been a while now. Uh, yeah, players are in and out of the lineup, but the, the system has not really changed that whole lot. Maybe the players have. Should Spolstra adjust a little bit to his players and, and adjust that system, or do you have to maintain the course – and, and hopefully the players get it. Well, I, I think you got to look at what you have and say, can your players get it done otherwise? In other words, everyone is saying that they flip, pick and roll too much, that they have two guys up high, and then a guy rolls free to the basket. And I understand all that. But there's no deterrent to the rim, and no one's been stopping anyone out front. So, right. look, the, the game in Denver, a couple of times, Aaron Aflalo just got right by Dwayne Wade to the basket, pull a jumper, scored. We've seen opposing point guards destroy the heat. Even Ty Lawson didn't shoot great. He loaded up with eight first-half assists against the Heat. I think it has to be what Pat Riley said in the old days, guard your man, take your challenge. But if you're a coach and you see the guy can't take the challenge and you're not in charge of personnel, well, don't you have to try to come up with a system that can, every team does it, that can mask your team's weaknesses. Right. That's what Eric is trying. Maybe it has to be something else. But the reality is man on ball defense not good enough right now. Yep, yep. I, I, would, I would agree with that, Ryra. <laughs> uh, all right, well, uh, thanks again uh, for, for spending some time. Do you have any final thoughts? It was, uh, it, it was a pleasure, but the one thing about the road is you can't wait to get home, and the crazy thing about the schedule is you come back to Chicago, tough, tough game, you go right out to Brooklyn. The schedule right. has been brutal. Like I said, those two relief weeks to the end of December, that's what it's going to be all about when we will find out is who are these Miami Heat. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again. Uh, we can find you on Ira Heat Beat on, on Twitter, correct? Ira Heat Beat on Twitter. And of course, it's sunsentinel.com with our daily Ask Ira features and news throughout the day. I'm going to go back to writing some stories now. Thank you. <laughs> nice. Nice. Thank you again.